This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Hi, right, guys. Today, we've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is John Fobert. So he is a scholar and thought leader on the harms of pornography and sexual assault prevention. He has appeared on CNN and NPR, and his work has been cited in the New York Times, U.S. News and World Report, and the Huffington Post. So he released his 10th book in 2017 titled How Pornography Harms, What Teens, Young Adults, Parents, and Pastors Need to Know. So you've heard me talk about that before because he is on, like, that is the porn book on our 100 books that every modern Christian man should read list. That is on our website. If you've not gotten that list yet, just go to our website. I think it's just undaunted.life backslash booklist. But today we're going to be discussing his new book called Protecting Your Children from Internet Pornography, Understanding the Science, Risks, and Ways to Protect Your Kids. And you know, we we talked about the the fact that the first book on pornography and then this book, they, there's a lot of similarities. And I've had him on the show before on podcast 177. That will be in the show notes so you guys can check that out. So there's a lot of kind of carryover, but this one is specifically equipping parents to help push back against the darkness of pornography for for the sake of their children. So in this episode, we're going to get into the tangible things that parents can do to help prevent this. They're going to, he also talks about the scripts. He gives you like actual questions to ask your child based on the different ages that they're at to kind of help you get into this conversation. Cause as with most parents, I'm sure the sex conversation is weird. The porn conversation is weird, but he's trying to help parents make sure that their kids would want to go to their parents first when talking about these types of things, but we get into tangible things about smartphones and how dumb it is to give a kid a smartphone that is completely unlocked to the internet. It doesn't matter if they're going to seem like the weird kid at school. You want to protect them from the stuff that they're going to be able to get on the internet. We talk about how pornography as evolves. We talk about how it affects the brains of fully formed adults versus how it affects a young child. We talk about sexual scripting. There's a lot of great tangible information on this, but guys, this is a kind of a more mature subject matter. So if you're listening to this with kids, we do get into some, to, to some details here and some of the language does get a little bit crass, you know, maybe for some of your tastes. So just be aware of that. But guys, I don't want to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. John Fobert, welcome back to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. You know, I'm typically really excited to have people on for a second time, but I wish we didn't have to talk about this stuff, John. It is a heavy subject matter today. I already talked about that in the intro, so guys, you have been thoroughly warned, but it has been a couple of years since you've been on the show, but it, you know, it's for good reason, and we'll get to that reason here in a second. But for those that missed the first opportunity to listen to us uh, you know, get in here and jabber at one another, how about you bring everybody up to speed on how you got into the field that you're in today? Well, I started doing research on sexual violence prevention in 1993, and around 2008, I started to notice that there was a connection between pornography and sexual violence, and so I began to do research in that area. I'm a college professor, and uh, it's an area of interest of mine, and um, I'm, of course, a believer in Christ and thought that it was important that believers uh, be involved in this issue. So that's the quick and dirty. Yeah, absolutely, and so that's 
That's obviously not something that you probably grew up thinking, you know what, when I grow up, I want to study sexual violence, but it's incredibly important because we have to have people like you that are looking into these things. But I I don't really want to, you know, pause any further in terms of what we're going to be talking about today. Today, we're going to be discussing a new book that you have out called Protection or sorry, Protecting Your Children from Internet Pornography, Understanding the Science, Risks and Ways to Protect Your Kids. Obviously, very, very important, but heavy subject matter. Now, in many ways, after I read this book, it felt like a follow-up to How Pornography Harms. And so How Pornography Harms is on our book list on our website, the 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. Anytime this subject matter comes up, I refer them to that book because there were just some shocking revelations for me personally reading through that book. But was the goal for this book to kind of be a follow-up of sorts to How Pornography Harms? Yes, it was definitely intended to be a follow-up to how pornography harms and, and really to focus on specifics that parents can do to, to protect their children. And also it's updated with a lot of the latest research on the harms of pornography, which comes out every day. Yeah, absolutely. And it really felt that way. So I guess, again, we'll start 30,000 foot view and then we're going to dive right into the granular side of things. But what what do you want parents to get out of this book specifically? Like what's the main goal? What's the big takeaway? What I want them to get out of this is they can't just hand the their kids over to the pornography industry. They have to fight, and they have to do so when their children are of early ages. And I believe the fight begins around four years old, um, when they can first really understand language. And so um, what I wanted to do was to give parents a guide in terms of here are the harms of pornography, and here are specific questions you can ask your kids to educate them about this issue. So I thought that was very important uh, to get into parents' hands, because a lot of parents want to do something. A lot of dads really want to do something, but they're not exactly sure what to do. So I wanted to give them some specifics on here are questions to ask your kids. Yeah, I appreciated that you you gave us language because even my wife and I this morning were talking, you know, before this interview about what we were going to talk about. And we have a two-year-old and a three-month-old, both boys, and she was worried about this subject matter before our first kid was born. Right. Because, you know, and everyone on the podcast knows about this. Like I used to look at porn. I used to, you know, I was like the 80 something, 85% of adult males that looked at porn. And then that hasn't really been a part of my life for a very, very, very long time. But those scars and that hurt and and all that angst is still there uh, to a degree in our relationship. And she sees it in other people and other people's relationships. She's seen, you know, pornography use lead to affairs and all these different things. And so she is just mortified at what to do. And, uh, you know, I just kind of told her, I was like, just be happy that you've got a husband that is already thinking about this before it's even close to being a problem for them. And we're surrounded by people at the church that you and I, you know, both to attend together that are definitely looking at this, but um, kind of give us an idea. We'll, we'll, we'll stay 30,000 foot view for one more question. Tell us how the book is set up because you teed it up a little bit there in terms of the questions, but there, there's, I think seven or eight chapters, but how is it structured as a book? It's structured to go through various different kinds of harms of pornography and then to list the topics that I think are important to talk to your kids about. And then uh, it ends each chapter with specific questions for kids who are 8 to 11 and then kids who are 12 to 17 um, so that you can kind of gauge the right questions for the right kids in in your household. Okay, very good. So that kind of gives everybody the lay of the land, but let's go ahead and dive in. The very first sentence of chapter one is this. You walk into your 11-year-old's son's bedroom. His back is to you. Over his shoulder, you can see that his phone, on his phone, he is watching a violent pornographic video clip. How you react then may well have a significant impact on the rest of his life. 
Now, something similar to that quote was in a book by John Tyson called uh, The Intentional Father. And it's like how you react to that situation is going to kind of set the groundwork for how your child is going to think about sex, think about sexual violence, think about sexual morality and all those different things. So I guess for you, and you, you talk about this a lot in the book, why start there? Why was it important for you to start with that mental image? Because I think that is a lot of parents' nightmares, and then they don't pre-decide how they're going to react. They just react, and then they typically regret it later. Well, because I, I want to get to parents before that happens. Um, and so I, I'm hoping that parents of uh, kids who are younger than 11 will read the book and, and think about, oh, yeah, what would I do in that situation? I'd probably either ignore it or I'd freak out. And both of the, uh, those reactions are, are counterproductive. Are, uh, are just detrimental to uh, both the relationship with the child and to his prospects of continuing to watch pornography. We really need to speak with our heads, not so much with our hearts, uh, with our kids on pornography and really give them good information so that they will want to make the choice not to view it. And if they do come upon it, or should I say when they come upon it, that they'll avoid it um, and say, this is not something I want in my life. Well, what's interesting about that, when I was talking with my wife this morning, you know, my parents never sat me down like ever, John, and said, hey, you're not going to do drugs. Hey, you're not going to have sex before you're married. Hey, you're not going to drink. I was just so terrified of being in trouble. Because whenever I got in trouble, I really got in trouble. I was a knucklehead. I didn't do like, you know, I wasn't knocking over liquor stores, but I was just kind of a knucklehead. And it was just that level of, you know, kind of fear of the, you know, retribution of my parents that kept me from doing some of those things, right? It kept me kind of on the moral straight and narrow path. I can only imagine how much more narrow that path would have been had they had these discussions with me. Because one thing they never talked to me about was sex. They never talked to me about pornography. They never talked to me about any of those things. And to their, you know, credit, I guess this was the 1990s when I was growing up. And so how much of that was there really, it's like you basically had to check and make sure that your kid didn't have playboys, you know, stuffed under their mattress. Like that's all you had to do at that time. And I think John, and I, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but I think some parents, especially the parents that want to be the friends of their kids, they want to be their kid's best friend and confidant. They respond negatively to this scenario, but not on the, you know, high horse moralistic freak outside. It's on the, it's okay. You know, it's perfectly natural. You know, I understand that you would want to look at it, but I think to a degree that that harms the child as well, because he's just like, Oh, like looking at sexual violence is okay. Why? Because mom and dad said so, but then they told me that I shouldn't do it. So there's this inner dissonance. Does does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think we need to be parents, not not friends of our children. And and that's just, that's a, a, a job that God gave us. He didn't say, you know, go forth and multiply and be friends with your children. I mean, he, 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 said uh, that we needed to raise our children and train them up in the ways of the Lord. And so um, I think it's important that, um, that, that parents treat their children as children and have conversations with them that are proactive and ongoing on this issue, not just a one-time shot. Absolutely. So when we get into chapter two, this is about porn and the brain. And so chapter two uh, really reminded me a lot of uh, how pornography harms because it was just shocking to me, uh, the the data and the research that was in there about how pornography uh, deals with the brain. So I guess, John, in a nutshell, what does consistent use of pornography do to a fully developed brain of an adult? And what does it do to the not fully developed brain of a child? There is an important distinction there. 
there is an important distinction. To an adult, um, they get a hit of dopamine uh, when they first see pornography, and then um, they tend to look at look out for more and more extreme pornography to get that same dopamine rush um, because they want to kind of hit that high. And it's difficult to obtain that same dopamine rush, and they're constantly in search of it. So um, for adults, uh, it does affect their behavior and their expectations for what's what sex should be like. It's just in a different way than with kids. Kids have brains that are not yet very fully formed, and they're still developing their own sexual template. And so when you're still developing a sexual template, anything that you learn about sex gets uh, thrown into that template, and you can uh, basically see that uh, kids are going to look towards the violent images that are in mainstream pornography and think, oh, well, I guess that's what sex is all about, when it's certainly not what God designed it to be, and it's certainly not what I think most people want to engage in, particularly most women, um, because it tends to be demeaning towards women and violent towards them. Well, and we'll get more into the, you didn't, I don't think you used the word there, but the sexual scripting that happens yeah. for children. We'll get more into that because you get into that later on in the book, I believe in chapter seven. But I want to specifically get into chapter three as well, because in this chapter, you spend the entire time linking porn use and sexual violence. Now, there are right. a lot of people out there that, you know, poo-poo this idea, saying that it's correlation, not causation. It's very similar to me. It feels the same as when people poo-poo the idea that violent video games leads to violent children. And this is not a podcast about, you know, school shootings or any of those types of things, but it is interesting, right. the in incredible increase in violent video games and violent imagery on screens and televisions. And then we have this uptick in kids performing violence on their classmates. So, but, but again, that's not what today's about, but it feels the same. The argument feels the same. People are like, oh, you know, that's not why there's an uptick in sexual violence. And then they don't actually give their reason for why they think there's an uptick in sexual right. violence. But I guess you, you argue the opposite in the book that, you know, porn use and sexual violence goes hand in hand. Why? Right. Uh, because there are 50 studies, in fact, over 50 studies that have directly connected the two. Some are correlational, some are even causal in terms of pornography and sexual aggression. And so when you do 50 studies all showing the same thing, uh, the odds that you're wrong is one in 88 decillion. Um, which is a pretty big number. So I didn't even know um, that was a number. So you just helped me learn something today. <laughs> yeah, it goes decillion, onillion, octillion, septillion, sextillion, quintillion, quadrillion, trillion, billion, million, hundreds of thousands and single digits. I've never felt dumber than in this exact moment. I thought I knew how to math, but keep on going. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's actually obvious to any observer that one would watch pornography and see a violent acts in it and see people uh, obtain sexual pleasure from it and then want to say, hey, well, maybe I can obtain sexual pleasure from that as well. And so, um, but the problem is what's shown in mainstream pornography is so violent. I mean, it's acts that lead women to vomit um, are really now mainstream um, and scenes that degrade women by showing men's bodily fluids on their face is now commonplace on the internet. And so um, this is not something that we want our kids seeing and, and especially repeating. Yeah, I think there's a desensitizing to everything. And then that goes back to the violence thing that we've seen. Like, you know, I've seen personally, because I'm kind of, for whatever reason, again, with Undaunted Life, we equip men to push back darkness. So I'm drawn to dark things to watch them, right. to know what's out there so that I can equip men to push back against that. But then I myself right. have realized like, there's not really a, a bloody or gory image that you could show me even of a real person that's really going to stick with me or bother me. 
And to a degree, that's what I set out to do. And also to a degree, that's scary. But the same exact thing is happening with children. One thing before we move off of chapter three, something I remember from the book is there is an uptick of people, especially young people, especially young women that are dealing with sexual injuries. And what I, what I don't mean, and without getting too incredibly graphic, even though, you know, guys, this is a show, we're going to talk about it, how we talk about it. We're not just talking about women that are being choked. We're not just talking about women that are having their hair pulled. We're talking about women or young girls that are being violently anally raped that are, you know, and again, that is an exit only hole for any of you guys out there that didn't know that. But like there, there are injuries that especially young girls are dealing with. Like we are seeing an uptick in that correct? We are seeing an uptick in that because it's interesting when you look at the medical journals, a lot of the journals are saying we're seeing a surprising uptick in anal um, uh, fissures and uh, and damage. And so you don't really have to be a psychologist or a PhD to realize that when you have much more anal sex that's being shown in, in pornography and then that's being acted out on women and girls, that there's going to be some, some damage that's going to be caused by that. Well, and also like, I remember going through, it was like Instagram or TikTok and I'm, you know, I try to find content for my audience and so I can grab it over here and send it over there. That's kind of how I do social media. And I remember seeing this girl talking about, um, uh, there was a, there was a rapper that, you know, whenever he would be in town, he would send her a message that would tell her it, you know, in not so many words, he would basically say, here, go ahead and take care of this. So whenever you come over, we can have butt sex, like that type of thing, like go through the preparatory process of doing this. And as me as an adult, I'm like, what a freaking loon. Like you're telling this woman to basically, you know, again, take care of her, her backside to make sure that when they do that, they can take care of things. And it's like, wait a minute, this guy has a ton of fans that are below the age of 18. And so they're thinking, oh, well, that's what my favorite rapper does. He gets these women ready to go. And so now they think that's part of courtship is, hey, make sure you do this before we we go on a date tonight or before we hang out tonight. It's just astonishing to me. And I feel like that all goes into what you talked about in chapter five, which is, you know, a chapter that is surprising for most people. I would think it's porn use with women and girls. And because yeah. I think for most of us as men, we know that we're biologically driven to be sexually attracted to people with our eyes. It's very, very different. If you've ever gone through counseling, uh, you know, for pornography or something like that, you know, hearing a male counselor try to explain to your wife, you know, how a man views women and how they categorize women and all that. It's like, like trying to explain color to the blind, but it's kind of the same thing here. Most people just completely disregard women and girls because they don't think it's happening, but give us a little bit more information about the pervasive use of pornography by women and young girls. Well, it used to be that women and young girls were not using pornography, that it was pretty much a male phenomenon. But one of the things the porn industry realized is they weren't hitting that market very well. And you have to think about the porn industry as a business. They want more markets and more people using their products. And so they began to target women and girls uh, in their marketing and and it worked. And right now, um, roughly anywhere between one and two thirds of women are watching pornography every month. Um, it's, uh, lower among Christian women, um, as you might expect, but there's still a lot of women who are watching it. And one of the sad things about it is it teaches them that they should accept sexual violence because that's what the images are showing. And so it makes it more likely that they will be sexually violated. And that's something that we, uh, really don't want as a culture. And also, 
I think one of the things that they've done is they've worked through popular culture because look at the tremendous market success of a book and then movie series, 50 shades of gray. And people are like, Oh, it's just innocent. It's just, you know, people having sex and it's just kind of a sexy film. Don't be a prude. It's like, no, it's a book and a film about sexual violence about a right. woman that is being taken advantage of, but that is just the, the most name brand of a, an entire category of pornography that a man a man's not going to read porn when they can just right. pick up their phone and have it, you know, at their fingertips in four seconds. But is that still as pervasive as it was? Because I know that's always kind of been their romance novels and they they couch it as yes. a romance novel. But it's like these books aren't about romance. They're about, you know, no, the long no. hair guy that eventually pound takes you to pound town in the bed. You know, it's that it's that craziness yeah. that that we kind of get to. Right. It is. And that's the more common type of pornography that women will expose themselves to would be the the quote unquote romance novels. But the, you know, things like Fifty Shades of Stupid is just showing them, you know, different kinds of acts that really uh, demean women. Um, and that's not the loving relationship that God intended to have between husband and wife, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I do want to go ahead and, and hit chapter seven. We talked about it a little bit earlier because this takes a deep dive into something that should literally scare every parent that is listening to this right now. And that is how pornography use changes the sexual scripts that we have. So it should scare you for yourself, but should also scare you for your children. So give us an idea of what sexual scripts are, kind of what that is and what pornography does specifically to children that use it in terms of their sexual expectations. Well, sexual script is basically the idea that you have in your mind about how a sexual encounter should go. And absent uh, other information, particularly children who watch pornography will see a porn scene and say, oh, that's how I guess things are supposed to go, that the woman vomits and the man puts his... his uh, seminal fluid on her face and and that that's what sex is all about and that's not at, at all what sex should be about but um it it tends to form this sexual script in the in the kids minds that this is what sex should be like and and that's not at all the case now you've talked about it uh, a few times well let me actually just read a quote from the book and we'll back into it so here's a quote okay. from chapter seven in the 1970s 45 percent of men viewed x-rated movies the next national study in the 1990s found that 61 percent were viewing x-rated movies just before the internet boom after the internet made pornography readily available in the first decade of the 21st century research showed that 86 percent of men were viewing pornography 86 percent of men were viewing pornography now Again, I kind of alluded to this earlier. It's shocking to hear a stat like that, but it's really not shocking. Like I remember having a conversation with my wife years ago um, because, you know, when you don't have conversations about pornography out in the open, you assume that not very many people do it. And I told right. her, I'm like, babe, almost 100% of the men you know and love in your life look at porn and jerk off. Almost 100% yeah, of them. Yeah. And I could tell she didn't really believe me. And I'm like, you right. don't get it. You just don't understand it. And so I know that's a little bit crude for people to think about. And they don't want to think about, you know, their pastor or one of their male family members or, you know, one of the people that they work with as being a pornography user. But they just don't fully understand how pervasive this is. How important is it for wives and women to understand this? Not just about their man potentially, but just about men in general. Well, I think it's very important for women to understand because it's setting the sexual template of the men in their lives. And so, um, and, and the men that they're raising, the young men that they're raising. And so I think it's, it's critically important that women understand this and that women can also be, um, a force 
to help men decide not to want to look at pornography anymore. And just, you know, thinking about what would my wife think if I, if she knew I was doing this and if she actually does know I'm doing this, um, that is something that hopefully would help keep some men from, from going down that road, uh, at least as often as they're doing now. Well, also you talk about in the book, John, about women that basically kind of throw their hands up and say, well, my husband, this is Christian women and non-Christian women, right? They're like, right, well, right. my husband's going to look at this. Um, you know, he's doing this for my benefit. They're convinced of that. Like he's trying to spice things up. He's trying to keep things interesting because, you know, I right. read on the cover of Cosmopolitan, you know, 12, 12 ways to keep your guy interested in that type of thing. And one of those suggestions is typically pornography. But right. just, I guess, talk about how dangerous that is because that not only changes the expectations for the woman, but as the man's taste in pornography devolves into more and more crazy types of porn, obviously he's going to want to carry that into his personal bedroom, right? Right, right. Absolutely. And women need to be concerned about that from the perspective of what might be carried into their own bedrooms. It's something that um, men like to, when men uh, achieve sexual gratification from a certain image, they often like to think, well, what would that be like in real life? And maybe they could try it in the bedroom. And that is something that um, can be very both physically damaging to a woman and psychologically damaging to a woman, not not to mention the men themselves when they're engaging in behaviors that's violent towards another person. That's just not natural. Absolutely. And it leads to people that are, you know, welcoming other people into the bedroom. Again, it welcomes uh, different forms of sexual violence. Well, just this risky behavior that could have real life physical consequences for people. Um, there's another quote in the book I want to get your feedback on. And so, and then you can explain who these people are as well. Dr. Bridges and her associates also found that men who use pornography, this is crazy, are more likely to watch pornography with their partner during a sexual encounter. Okay. Also, yes, another place yes. in the book, I don't have the quote here in front of you, but another place in the book, mm -hmm. you talk about men who will sit there and watch porn on their phone as they're having sex with their wives and they're doing it in order to keep an erection because right. the warm, loving body in front of them is not enough to help them keep an erection. And maybe they don't have pills or whatever. So they're literally sitting there watching porn and using their wife as a a masturbatory aid, you know, as a cum dumpster. Right, right. I know we're getting a little crude. Right. That's how these people yeah, are yeah. thinking. Get into that a little bit more. Well, um, I, I think you've done a good job of getting into that <laughs> with just quoting the book. I mean, it's, yeah. it is it is something that, yeah, the research has shown that the, the more men will watch pornography, the more men will try and get that into the bedroom. And in fact, if you do studies of women, the number one reason why they look at pornography is they're shown it by their male partners. And mm -hmm. they're shown it as like an instruction manual for what they want done. So, um, yeah, I, there was an interview I did with a, a woman in her 30s, and she said, yeah, you know, my husband. And he puts his his iPhone above my head while we're having sex so he can get it up. And um, and she didn't seem to think that that was a problem. And that's insane. You know, I, it is. It is. It's absolutely insane. And it's it's um, it just tells how low we've really gone. It's hard to know where to go from there, John. And I don't just mean in this interview. I mean, just right. in general, that we've gotten to right. this place because I didn't even have. I didn't even have the scripting in my brain, you know, not sexual scripting for yeah. the thought that someone would need to have a playboy open back in the 1980s in order to keep an erection in order to have sex with their wife like that. Right. Like we, that wasn't happening. I can't imagine well, that it, it was happening. 
it wasn't happening as much because high speed internet pornography is a game changer for the brain. So when you're watching, uh, when you're looking at a Playboy magazine, you're looking at just one image. High speed internet pornography is is moving images, and it's as many images as you want over and over, um, switching from different kinds. And so it's what's called a supranormal stimulus. It's a kind of stimulus that the brain was not designed to to take in, um, and so it becomes more attractive to some men. Uh, for them to see pixels rather than their partners. And that's just um, devastating. Yeah. I mean, again, it, it's hard for any of us that, you know, were born before the year 2000 to really understand that because, you know, we weren't digital natives necessarily. Like we got our first computer when I was like in seventh grade. I got my first phone when I was like a senior in high school and it didn't have the internet. It barely had buttons that worked. Right. And so it's, yeah. it's just a completely, completely different world. And that's where the rubber starts to meet the road specifically in the book and specifically with the work that you do. This is where we get granular. So to all the parents out there, we've set this up for the last 25 minutes, but let's hit it now. How can parents protect their children from internet pornography? I think it starts by uh, establishing good relationships with our children where we they can talk to us about anything because we want to be the default option they go to um, instead of to Google when they have a question about something. So that's that's part of it is just establishing good uh, relationships with our kids. Um, the other thing is at, at different ages, I recommend different things to do. So around age four, one of the things I recommend is that you talk to kids about how we take pictures in our family and um, that we would never take a picture of someone who didn't have their clothes on because that would be showing their private parts and the private parts are supposed to remain private. And so we, because we wouldn't do that, we obviously wouldn't look at pictures of people's private parts. And so we, we wouldn't use the word pornography with a four-year-old, but teach them at a young age that you don't look at someone else's private parts and you don't look at pictures of their private parts. And then I think you can um, ask some kids who are around the age of eight, like, have you heard your friends or other people talking about something called pornography? What are some of the things you remember them saying? And if they haven't, uh, give them a definition um, so that they know what it is before they see it, which I think is very important. Um, and then when you have older children, you can talk about, have any of your friends seen pornography? Have you yourself seen anything that, you know, made you feel uncomfortable? Um, what have you been looking at when your friends are showing you videos on their phones, those sorts of things. So I think there's, and, and I have all these questions in the book and it's designed so that you can have uh, graduated conversations with your children based on their age and stage. So all that is in the book. It's great. You know, for me, it kind of, for me, I'm kind of dumb. I don't really remember things that well. And so it's like, okay, I need to make sure I remember that those questions are in this book when my kids are more age appropriate. Cause I got a, a few years ago, but the big thing that I want to talk about, and right. you talked about it in both of your books on this subject is smartphones. I have been vehement yeah. about how dumb parents are by giving an unlocked smartphone to their child, right? To a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year old. Right. Now they think, right. oh, well, all their kids have it or, oh, they need it for school for check-in or they've got to have the laptop so that they can get on online to do their schoolwork and they've got to have this and they've got to have that. And they treat it as if they don't have a choice in the matter. But what they're right. actually saying is I don't want my kid to be a weirdo. All their friends have phones. Right, right. They have this little app that they message each other, stickers and other kind of random crap on. And I don't want my kid to be the weirdo, right? And I feel right. like for me, it's like, you're not just, you're not just handing your kid porn. 
right? You're handing them violence. You're handing them murder. You're handing them criminal acts. You're handing them dumb ideas. Think about all the trends that have happened on Instagram or Twitter or all those different things. Remember the Tide Pod Challenge? Remember all these idiot kids that were eating Tide Pods and getting really, really sick? Some of them dying. That came because they were trying to outdo one another in, in trying to be funny online. So, Talk about the smartphone thing because I scream about everything. So people are used to it. So someone like you, that's like very learned, you have your PhD in glasses and you look wicked smart. Please tell parents how dumb it is to give their kids a smartphone. Well, I think you should only give your kids a smartphone if it's for your convenience, not for theirs. And I think every parent has to decide when that happens. But you you have to make sure that it's a lockdown phone, too. Every cell phone company has its in- own internet filtering and accountability software that you can get uh, with the phone, or you can go for one of the commercial products like Covenant Eyes or something like that. And frankly, kids can get around that, um, but at least for a while, it tends to delay the process. I I think that, you know, before kids can drive, it's important that they have a phone, not necessarily a smartphone, but um, just so that if they're out on the road and they break down, that they have uh, something to call. But you can get them a dumb phone, not a smartphone. Um, And a dumb phone, you know, doesn't uh, display pictures or those sorts of things. And especially if they have uh, gotten into pornography, you don't want to kind of help that habit by giving them more access. So yeah, I, I do think it's, it's, it's a bad idea to give kids smartphones. One again, by the time my kids are going to be knocking on the door of driving, like the entire world will be different by then. Like who knows what we'll, right. be, what we'll be doing by then considering what the last two years have looked like. But yes, yeah. you don't want to give your kid the keys to a car and a new phone. Like, cause in the temptation while they're driving is going to be to use the damn thing. And so there, there are things and some tactile things that you need to kind of figure out. But, but again, that this idea, and it goes beyond the phones. And I talk about this too. The fact that parents are like, oh, this is their phone. Like, I don't want to invade their privacy. It's like, what are you talking about? They're a child. They live under your roof. They own nothing. Even if they have a job over the summer and buy, guess what? It exists in your home, whatever they've bought, right? And so the phone doesn't stay in the room with the kid when the doors close or at night. You have kids staying up all night because they're on social media, which creates this horrible uh, cycle, especially for girls playing the comparison game. But also parents... When you give your kids an iPad, that's unlocked completely. When you give your kids a laptop, that's unlocked. When you give them a PlayStation or an Xbox, which connects to the internet and a television in their room and you let them play with the door closed, you don't have any idea what they're doing. And these parents are just terrified that their kids are going to get mad at them. Again, I'm going to make you talk about it even more because I want us to double, triple, quadruple down on this. I think we need to make sure that parents are parents, not children. And and parents should be parents to their children, not friends of their children, because it's a, it's a tough job. Um, and I'm not saying it's always fun, but you have to be ready for the emotional outbursts that your, your kids will have. And um, sometimes you have to say no, and that's to protect them. Um, it's, I think, a, a, a mean thing to do to give kids unlimited access to pornography through a cell phone where they, they don't really even know what they're getting into. So um, we, we need to be the parents that God has asked us to be and to, to train them up in the ways of the Lord, not necessarily give them over to the culture. 
Well, let's talk about this emphasis on God here because there was something after I got done reading the book, I was a little disappointed in. One of the things that surprised me is that you neglected to be overtly Christian in certain areas Mm. of the book. So in chapter Mm -hmm. six, uh, you were talking about the impact porn is having on teens and tweens, a very, very important chapter. But you spent time discussing how parents should talk to their kids about contraception. But there was no mention in that section of abstinence only as a viable, not just viable, but God required option. And then also right, in the final right. chapter of the book, you talk about non-religious programs that can help people that use porn, but that that's where a lot of the problems with these secular addiction models are, is these people don't have an addiction problem. They have a sin problem that is manifesting right, as right. an addiction. Some of them aren't even addicts. They're just compulsive users of this or that thing. And sin, I'm sure that you would agree with this intellectually, is the root of the problem that we're dealing with here. But again, this came off more as kind of a social scientist book as opposed to, you know, a resource for a godly parent. So I'm being a little bit critical here. Tell me where yeah. I'm wrong if I'm wrong. You're, you're not wrong. We made a, dis, a decision with Moody uh, Publishers that this would be under their Northfield imprint, which basically is um, intended to get a broader audience of people who are both Christians and non-Christians reading books um, that could include godly wisdom, uh, but wouldn't necessarily include a gospel presentation or something along those lines. And so I made the decision along with Moody to um, include have it be more inclusive so that more people would read it and get this information to their kids. I think how pornography harms was the, the version that was strictly, uh, uh, spiritual. Um, and I think this one, anyone who's a believer is going to know I'm a believer when they read the new book. Um, but it just won't include as much um, direct uh, spiritual content because what we we don't want is for a secular individual to pick it up and say, oh, this is just Christian ideas. We'll just throw that out. Um, we, we want them to benefit from godly wisdom. And I think there's godly wisdom in it, but it has to do with who the publisher is and what their goals are. And their goals are to sell a lot of books. And so- right. Um, I'm hoping that that's the case with this one. So, uh, here's things is I can fundamentally disagree with that as a, as a tactic, but I, I get mm-hmm. it. I understand a similar thing came up. I don't know if you've seen the documentary that the daily wire produced called what is a woman, but there's no description of, you know, male and female. He created them or any of those types of things. Right. And they got right. some negative feedback. It's like, look, you know, most of the people at this company are Christians. Matt Walsh is a Catholic. So he's purportedly a Christian. And yet there's no mention right. of God in this documentary, but that's their ex- explanation as well as they didn't want the culture to look past this documentary and just be like, oh, that's just a Christian thing. They're just, you know, you know, you know, using their Bible against us and all those different things. They wanted to attack the ideology in the most basic way possible, which some people would argue the most basic way possible is to use the biblical truths that we get. So again, I understand why a publisher or why a media producer would want to do that. But as we wrap up here, I want to kind of end with this question here, John. And I believe I asked you about this whenever we talked last time, because in the in the last chapter of the book, you talked about some approaches, you know, the, using the public health approach, you know, uh, working to regulate, you know, internet service providers, ISPs, you know, taking action through organizations and stuff like that. But here we are right now, as of the recording of this, we haven't got the Dobbs decision yet from the Supreme Court. Guys, by the time you hear this interview, the Dobbs decision will have been handed down. Roe may be overturned. Casey may be overturned. You know, the face of abortion in this country and the fight of abortion may be on 50 fronts as opposed to one. One front as as we know it now. I feel like we should also fight as Christians, as conservatives, to make pornography illegal. 
And you can use the public health argument. You can use the detriment to children argument and all those different things. But I really think that we need to open our eyes to this because the, the, the argument over abortion didn't really even begin until Roe v. Wade was legalized 50 years ago. And even though the Supreme Court uh, deciders, you know, the people that made the decision, they thought we just ended the debate. It's like, no, 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 you just kicked it off. What are we going to need to see to where people can really start looking at this as something that isn't just unfortunate, but something that should be criminalized? Well, yeah, I think all of those techniques can be very useful. And in fact, it, it, right now, pornography, a lot of pornography that out there is illegal. Um, what's illegal is what's obscene. And the Supreme Court has decided that. And what we need is people who have guts within the uh, U.S. Department of Justice to actually uh, start uh, prosecuting some of the major pornographers, and we can see uh, hopefully a lot of this go down. Um, regulating ISPs, I think, is a very good idea because they're transmitting, in a lot of cases, child porn, um, and that's something that would be illegal to transmit. And so, um, and more and more pornography out there is child porn. So there's a lot that can be done. Um, I think working with uh, organizations like NCOSI, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, um, they're doing great work fighting the porn industry on a shoestring budget. And um, there's a lot going on out there that's giving me hope that we can actually get to a point where we really fight back against this industry that really wants to destroy our children's lives. Yeah. And I think as technology becomes more pervasive, as we start getting wearable technology and AI and you know virtual reality and all these different things, this problem... So just think about it in the 90s, John. Think about you would not have even been able to fathom. In 1991, you would not have been able to fathom how pornography is now. And not just the not types of all. pornography, yeah. but people's yeah. access to it. And now we right. have people that are getting, you know, sex robots and they're getting these, right. you know, sensory suits that'll kind of give them, you know, the wear the Oculus goggles and then kind of go the whole nine yards with that. And we're still yeah. in the early stages of that technology. And so we're right. already worried about young men in their twenties that are having erectile dysfunction because they can't get it up with a real person like we've already talked about. But this is right. only going to become more and more pervasive. So guys, if you're a legacy-minded person, this is my PSA to you. Don't just worry about your sons and daughters right now. Worry about their sons and daughters because you're mm. you're potentially setting up a generational sin cycle or helping it continue by not addressing this. And I just got to be honest, you gave parents a very tangible resource here because I know some people are like, oh, I don't really, I want to kind of figure it out on my own. And you know, my kids are different than just the generic kid. It doesn't matter. If you get this book and just go to the ends of the chapters, I'm not suggesting you do this, but you could skip the chapter yeah. reading, even though I think that's yeah, a yeah. stupid idea. Skip the chapter yeah. reading and just go to the age appropriate questions that you can ask your children to kind of get into these conversations. He's just, you know, John's just giving you the words to use in these scenarios. And you could even put it in your own head as a different thing. If you've ever gone through sales training, they're not saying, say these exact 12 words in this exact way. They're just kind of giving you a basic idea. So guys, it's a tremendous, tremendous resource. It will be in the show notes for you, as I mentioned in the beginning and end of the show. But as of right now, that is all for me. Is there anything else that you want to get off your chest before we let you get out of here? I just want to thank everybody who's willing to fight the porn industry and to fight for the lives of their children, and I encourage you to go for it. Absolutely. John Fober, thank you for coming back on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Anytime.
There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed the return appearance of John Fulbert on our show. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a link to John's website, johnfulbert.com. i got a link to both books we talked about, Protecting Your Children from Internet Pornography and How Pornography Harms, and also a link to episode 177 of this show so you can check out John's first appearance. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's info at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.